Father, I want to thank you for your grace and mercy over us. You are so kind to give us Jesus. And Lord, I would ask that you would fill us with a knowledge of your word today. And Lord, I pray that we would not only have a knowledge of the word, but we would know and believe and obey what it is that we read. And Lord, I pray not only for ourselves, but all the gospel teaching churches of this community and around the world. Lord, I pray for our gospel partners down the street. And Father, I also pray for Tim and Tessa Fortescue, for their family, that you would give them grace. Lord, we see what they've asked us to be praying for during this time of Ramadan and during this season where they're working among these Muslim immigrants. Lord, I pray they would have favor in that community and I ask that you would open the eyes of people who are blind to the truth of Jesus Christ. Cause them to be born again. And Lord, I pray that Christians in America would love the gospel mission in a way that would help them befriend the Muslims who live down the street for the glory of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for Tim and Tessa. We thank you for them. And Lord, I ask great blessing over their lives. I pray they would know their labor is not in vain. It's done in Jesus. And God, we give this all to your care and we ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three. A couple of things about 1 Peter three. We're picking up where we left off last week. We've been going through a series on uh, relationships. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter three and we saw Peter's instruction to uh, believing wives. So what does it look like to be a God-honoring woman of God, someone who follows after Jesus Christ in a marriage, even that includes a very difficult, maybe even unbelieving husband. That was last week. This week, we're going to look at Paul's, or Peter's instruction to godly men as being husbands in a home who reflect the image of Christ. And I just want to say a quick word. This is not just for the men in the room, even though we're going to come hard at the men in the room this morning. For those of you who are single women, um, if you believe God may have a, a husband for you that he's going to bring into your life, this is a great opportunity for you to form biblical expectations for what a husband should look like. A man you're willing to marry should already embody this before you're married to him. So you need to be forming your expectations. For those of you who may be widows in this room and you don't feel like God is going to call you into marriage, again, you need to remember that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of everything we talk about when we talk about husbands. You have Christ and he is the groom to the bride of Jesus, his church, that includes you. And you can rejoice in who Jesus is for you. Also, for those of you that are single men, this is a great opportunity for you to begin forming your understanding of the kind of man that God is calling you to be. You will not instantaneously become a certain kind of guy when you say, I do. You're going to bring who you are into a marriage. And God is calling you to have this character, even if you don't have a wife yet. And so husbands, this is for you, but everybody else, this is for you as well. So let's begin reading this morning in our text, and we're going to start with the verses we covered last week in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Likewise, wives, 
Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God for us today. And I'm so excited about what I trust God's going to do in your life, in your home, in our marriages. I I want you to know one big thing that God's doing in 1 Peter, uh, the whole book. He's telling Christians through the work of Peter and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's telling Christians how their lives in in a certain community, any given community, can be an expression, a demonstration of the difference that Jesus makes. Really quickly, go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and look at verse 11. This is, these are the bookends around the section that we're studying. Verse 11 in 1 Peter 2 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul and keep your, verse 12, keep your conduct so live in a way among the Gentiles. He's referring to unbelieving people there. Uh, among the Gentiles, keep it honorable, keep it pure, keep it right. Uh, we'll talk about that word honorable in a second. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they think you're doing something wrong. They're evildoers and they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and what would they do? On the day that Jesus comes back, what will they do? They'll glorify God because your life was an expression of the glorious grace of God and the kind of difference that Jesus makes in a person who's trusting in him. So Peter's saying, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how to live in a way that the people who observe your life would be able to see a demonstration of the difference that Jesus makes in the life of someone who's trusting in him. You guys get that concept? So, so it, go over to chapter 3 and, and look at this verse. You'll, you'll see this. Verse 15. All right, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ. There's that word honor again. We're gonna come back to that. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And do, do what? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Here's in other words what he's saying. Live in a way that the people around you would observe your life and see a demonstration of the difference that Jesus can make in the life of someone who's trusting in him. And to the extent that he ends this little section in his letter by saying, and you need to be ready because they're going to see your life. You need to be ready to answer this question. They're going to come and say, why do you live like that? Right? Why do you, why are you living like that? And you get to tell them the answer to the question. What's the answer to the question? Jesus, right? He says, listen, I'm going to tell you how to live in a way that's going to stand out in your culture. It's going to stand out in your culture. It's going to be counter-cultural. And it's the expression of the difference that Jesus makes in the lives of those who trust in him. And be ready, be ready, be ready to answer the question, why do you live like that? And the answer is Jesus Jesus, and right in the middle, right in the middle of this section that's all about that is instruction to husbands and wives. 
It's instructions to us in our home saying, listen, there's great gospel opportunity in this community. If husbands and wives will live in relationship to one another the way that Jesus calls us. And I've got one of the coolest stories that I'm going to share with you. So don't leave early. I've got a cool story about this, about how living this out is a demonstration of the gospel for the glory of God and the faith of those who have yet to believe. So I've got one of the cooler stories I've told in a while, although I think all my stories are cool. But anyhow, let me give you the big idea. We talked last week about wives. Here's this morning for husbands. Here's the big idea for husbands today. Uh, Verse seven gives us this understanding about how husbands are called to lead in the home. And the big idea for this morning is this. God honoring husbands know the truth. They know the truth. They show honor and they lead their wives into unhindered prayer. God honoring husbands. Know the truth, show honor, and lead their wives into unhindered prayer. You can just remember those three words. You you can remember know, you can remember honor, you can remember prayer. Knowledge, honor, prayer, Mark. God honoring manhood as a husband. So let's break that down and look at that kind of one phrase at a time. We're gonna look at verse seven and I'm gonna show you the very first thing. God honoring husbands know the truth. Look at verse seven again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Stop right there. That word understanding in the original language is actually the word that we get knowledge from. It's it's a reference to knowing something. And here's the question that came up as I was studying this. Know what? Right? So I spent hours this week trying to ask that question. What am I supposed to know? And then I had to crack up in my office as I was sitting there thinking, what am I supposed to know? That nothing has made me feel like a superstar godly husband when I sat at my desk this week thinking, I don't even know what I'm supposed to know. Isn't that awesome? This is the guy you're called to follow. Anyhow, what am I supposed to know? As I, as I spent hours looking through this passage of scripture and just praying over this, there are a couple of clues I think we have about what it is that we're supposed to know. And let me give you the first thing. First thing I think that God is saying in this passage that men are supposed to know as they lead out in their home is know your wife. Know your wife. We're called to know. Some versions of this, this, this passage uh, translate that phrase, uh, understanding considerate, in a considerate way. Consider her. The knowledge we're called to live with is a knowledge of your wife. Guys, your wife is not like anybody else on earth. Now be careful how you say amen to that, right? right? She is a unique creation of God. She, she's one of one. She has hopes, she has dreams, she has plans, she has desires, and you should deeply want to know what those are. Her personality is all her own, and you should want to know her in a way that you lead her. So this is talking about how we lead in our marriage. Guys, we should want to know our wives in a way that we can lead her uniquely based on who God made her to be called to know our wives. One of the goals of Christian marriage is oneness. It's a phrase we call oneness. If you guys remember back in Genesis chapter two, when God created marriage, you guys will remember that God made a statement over all marriage, not just Adam and Eve. He said this, for this reason, a man would leave his father and mother. I've always found that funny because Adam and Eve didn't have fathers and mothers, but God says, hey, leave your father and mother because he's talking about all marriage Cling to your wife, and those two will become one flesh, right? Oneness is a gospel goal 
in marriage. And do you remember what the end of chapter two in Genesis says? Don't cheat, don't cheat. Does anybody remember what that says? Here's what it says. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Scandalous, right? What's it referring to? Well, it's referring to the fact they don't have clothes on. Uh, that's one thing. It, it's certainly physically. They're, they're, they have nothing between them. They have nothing between. They're not hiding from each other. They see and know and show everything that they are. And they're not ashamed to do it. Here's, here, here I am. Here I am. And do you remember what the very next thing is in Genesis? Genesis 2 ends with the man and the wife were naked. They were not ashamed. Chapter 3 is this. Adam and Eve take the forbidden fruit. They eat it. They sin. Sin enters the world. It wrecks the whole thing. And do you remember the very next thing that Adam and Eve do? They realize they're naked. And they hide from one another. They make fig leaf garments. They hide behind the trees of the garden. And here's what we find in that. Sin brings shame and separation. Always, sin brings shame and separation. There's a distance that's created between men and God because of our sin. There's a distance that's created by, between a man and his wife because of sin. And one of the gospel goals in this world is that God is bringing us back into union with him and union with one another. He, through Jesus, is removing the sources of shame from our life. He forgives us of all of our sins. He cleanses us from all of our iniquities. He gives us a brand new identity. He removes the sources of shame from our lives so that there's no longer shame so there no longer has to be separation and so as Peter is referring to this live with your wife he's saying live that word live is sometimes translated as marital intimacy live with intimacy towards your wife seek to know her don't let anything be between the two of you don't hide from her and pursue her when she hides from you men work to know your wives the goal of gospel marriage is more than staying married you guys get that I know people who've been married for 50 years and they're miserable. You ever met someone like that? Are you someone like that? That was a trick question. I was going to get you. No, no. That's not the goal is to stay married, right? That's not a successful marriage. Oneness, intimacy, knowledge, being able to say, here I am and here I want all of you. That's a goal of gospel marriage. So God honoring husbands work to know their wives, to have knowledge and lead her in a way that's unique based on who God has made her to be. I came up with just three things that have been helpful for me. I alliterated them so us guys could remember them. That kind of working toward that type of knowledge it requires at least three things. And let me give them to you. You guys can write these down. They're pretty easy. It requires time. It requires talking. And it requires thinking. Dun, dun, dun. Right? What? It requires time. To get to work and know our wives, you have to be present. Yes. You, gotta be, you have to be there. You have to spend time with one another. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lay down some law about you got to have this every week, you got to have this every night, you got to have, I'm not saying that because I understand how difficult it is sometimes to have quality time. By the time that Em and I get up in the morning, we do all the things we need to do, read our Bible, pray, exercise, she exercises, we get the kids ready, 
We get lunches packed, we get them off to school, we work hard all day doing the things we're supposed to do. We come home, we get dinner ready, we, we have all the homework that needs to be done, and we gotta shepherd the kids. We have family time, we do devotions and pray with the kids. Uh, before bedtime, we have the bedtime routine. We put the kids down for bed, they get back up again, we put them down again, they get back up again. She and I sit down, and all we want to do is fall asleep. And most nights, that's what we do, right? Most nights, our days end with with one of us saying, honey, let's just go to bed. We're already asleep. It's nine o'clock. It's so late. Let's go to bed. I get that. But knowing your wife takes time. How do you improve your golf game? How how do you know where the fish are biting? How how do you keep up with the, the news of your favorite sports team? You devote time to it. How do you know your wife? You devote time. Would some of you make a plan with your wife on how it is that you may spend quality time with one another this week with the aim of getting to know her? Not in who she used to be 20 years ago when you first met, who she is right now as a fairly fatigued woman with small kids or, or whatever her life looks like today. It requires time. It requires talking Yes, talking, asking questions, something that's even more deep than what's for dinner. Or have you seen my good pants and are they clean? When was the last time you had a conversation with your wife and your number one objective in that conversation was that you would get to know something new about her? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time that you begin to ask questions about how she's really doing? Not the come home quick, how was your day? Fine, how was your day? Fine, uh, we're both miserable, but let's both say fine, it's easier that way, and let's just move on. When's the last time you said no? How are you really doing? What, what, what are you struggling with? What, what, what do you need today? I came across something that, uh, as I was studying for this, that was helpful. It was written by a pastor named Stephen Cole. And here's what Pastor Stephen Cole writes. He says this, in American culture, for some reason, men are often inept at understanding their wives on a deep level. So there are disappointments and hurt feelings that never get resolved. The husband shrugs his shoulders, ignores his wife whom he doesn't understand and pours himself into his job, something which seems to be something he can handle. She shares her feelings with her friends and gets caught up in the frenzy of raising children and running a household and then the nest starts emptying and the wife starts thinking about going back to school and getting a fulfilling job at the same time that her husband begins to realize he isn't fulfilled through his job and what he really wants is intimacy with his distant wife or a younger version who excites him more than she does. And it's no surprise that the divorce curve shoots up at this point in life. I read that and I thought that is absolutely what I see going on in our culture and I can see how it happens and it's a tragedy when it does that life gets busy and marriage becomes about raising children and getting ahead and we wake up one day and we're married to a person we don't even know anymore. Husbands, don't let that be you. Spend time talk, ask questions. How is she really doing? Knowing your wife requires time, it requires talking, and it requires thinking. Hold on, I need to say that again because I know some of you weren't here. It requires thinking. You have to proactively think about what life is like for her. Do you know what it's like to be married to a guy like you? 
Can you imagine what it's like to have an expectation from Almighty God to follow a guy like you? You ever wonder what that's like? For her to live with a spiritual understanding that I am called to submit to this cat? Do you think about that? And as you lead your wife, do you think about what her life is like? Um, I know that I've told you guys this on multiple occasions, but years ago there was a question that kind of came up and I asked my wife this question uh, probably several times a day, maybe several times, maybe more. Do I do that? Okay, don't, don't let me lie in front of everybody. would hate to have the lightning strike again. Uh, here, here's the deal. I ask, I ask Emily several times a day, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? Sometimes it's kind of a, a, a running joke that we have, but I really mean it. And I want to do what it is that she shares with me if I'm at all able to do what she shares with me. But I don't think I've told you how that question came about. Let me just, I was thinking about that this week. And, and, and here's how that happened. When she and I had been married for maybe three or four years, uh, we had our first child, Logan. He may have been a year or two old. I, I can't remember. And I noticed that Emily seemed to be, um, how would I say this, uh, a little agitated with me. Um, I, I'm not certain on it's, how it all went down. It's kind of like a car accident. I was, I was screeching and screaming and, and uh, pressed the brakes. Um, I, here's how I remember. This is how I reflect on it. Um, we were, I was sitting in the living room. She was in the kitchen. She was, I think she was putting away dishes in the kitchen. I was sitting on the couch watching. I, I think I was watching Pardon the Interruption. It was a sports show on at the time. Um, and and sh- I noticed she was kind of noisy with the pots and pans. <laughs> suspiciously so, you know, suspiciously noisy in there. So I turned up the volume a little louder. Um, <laughs> Then, then, don't judge me, Sarah. Then, then I hear Logan start crying. Um, and, and so then I turn the volume up a little bit louder. And, and then, then here's what, yeah, I'm a real peach to live with, girls. Uh, this is, here's what happened. I had this epiphany, uh, kind of. Uh, Emily looked at me with utter bewilderment and asked, are you serious? And I, I think I responded like, yeah, I really can't hear with all that banging in the kitchen and with Logan crying. Of course, I, I can't hear what they're saying. And then she said something about me being amazing or this is amazing. I can't remember something like that. This is amazing. Um, and then she just looked at me, just kind of stood there, like looked at me. And I think I said something really helpful, like, can I help you? Uh, and um, how may I serve you? Something like that. I said, can I help you? And then she laughed. And, and not one of those, she found me funny laughed. One of those concerning, she may be losing her mind kind of laughs. And then she asked me something like this. Do you really, do you really not see everything I'm trying to do? <laughs> um, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, I said something like, no, <laughs> um, n- no. And, and here's the deal. I don't remember the exact response. I do remember this. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I genu- genuinely was that oblivious 
Like I just, I didn't know. To my shame, it did not occur to me. It didn't dawn on me to regularly, not once in a while, regularly, routinely think about what her days were actually like to try and understand from my vantage point how it felt for her to never have an adult conversation. Goo goo, gaga, isn't deep to be responsible for the food and the diapers and the baths and the clothes to never ever have a break, to work hard during our baby's nap time so she could spend quality time with him while he was actually awake. And then for her knight in shining armor to come home every day and put his feet up because he needed a break, right? I never even thought about that. Husbands, know your wives. (laughs) Hey, good, hey, exactly. That's how we worked it out in practice. Uh, We rehearsed these things. We decided it'd be better for Emily not to say amen like that, so... Sarah, thanks for standing in. Love you, love you every day. Here's the story. Know your wives and here's what it requires. Time, it requires talking, it requires thinking, thinking about what our life might be like. And ladies, let me just say this to you before I move on. Uh, Don't hide from your husbands. Remember when Adam and Eve are in the garden and sin brings shame and separation and Adam's called to pursue her like Christ pursues us? It's not a game of cat and mouse. Whatever you see on romantic movies, this is not some game that we're called to play where the husband pursues the wife and the wife perpetually hides from him and expects him to read your mind. You need to know this. Your husband can't read your mind. He can barely understand the things you're telling him plainly. Don't hide. Don't make his job impossible. Don't set him up for failure. Don't refuse to tell him everything you're feeling and how you care and what you need and then punish him because he can't guess. Don't hide. And when your husbands who failed at this perpetually for decades get convicted today and say, I want this to be a part of our lives, don't give them it's a too late. Don't set them up for failure. Ladies, don't hide from your wives God-honoring husbands know the truth and that truth includes a knowledge of who their wives are so they can lead them based on who God has made them to be. But I don't think the knowledge is, is just knowledge of our wives. That's, that's the second point. That leads to the second thing. It's not just knowledge of our wives. It's knowledge of the gospel, which brings us this next point. God-honoring husbands don't just know the truth. They show honor. Look at verse seven again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now pray for me here. Uh, woo, I didn't write the Bible. I just report the news. Um, here's the deal. Not only, should we, not only should we know our wives, we should show honor to them. That word honor means respect. It means to show the value with which something is worth. As a matter of fact, Peter uses this word honor several times. I pointed it out as we were reading some of those verses. You guys can make a note, maybe in the margin there, or maybe on your, your little notepad if you keep notes. Peter uses that word honor two times in chapter one. In chapter one, verse seven, he says that genuine faith in Jesus is more precious. That word precious is the same word for honor. It's more valuable. It's worthy. It's glorious and wonderful. It's more precious than gold, he says. In chapter one, verse 19, he says that the blood of Jesus is precious. He uses that word honor 
to, to describe the precious blood of Jesus. How precious, how, how valuable is the blood of Jesus? You can't describe it, right? It's valuable, capital V, valuable. And he says, show that to your wife. This value, this honor, this respect, this esteem, this preciousness. And then he says this, he uses this phrase, and I I didn't want to avoid it. We got to look at it. He says, as the weaker vessel. What's he mean by that? Well, well, first of all, don't overcomplicate this. He isn't saying women are lesser, that they're less valuable as a partner, as a person, as a follower of Christ at all. As a matter of fact, he's making the exact opposite argument, right? Show her honor as being valuable and precious in a way that I would use that same word to describe genuine faith in Jesus and Jesus's blood. She's that kind of capital V, valuable. So he's not saying she's lesser. That word vessel is often translated in the New Testament to describe our physical bodies, And so often that word is used to describe the physical nature of humanity. And what what Peter seems to be pointing to is that generally speaking, women are not as strong as men. Okay, that's not to say that there aren't women who can't beat me up, okay? Even in this room, maybe even in my marriage, she's strong. She's a a strong woman. Uh, That's saying that generally speaking, that, that women are not the, the physical equivalent to the, the men of this world. And without getting ridiculous, I was just thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about the NBA finals, and without being funny at all, I was actually thinking, there's a reason why the WNBA exists. Because generally speaking, as great as those female basketball players may be, and they could all beat me, no doubt, they're not the physical equivalent equals to their male counterparts. There's a reason why the Olympics is still divided in its events between men and women. Not because they are not great at their sports. Again, every Olympic woman could beat me at every Olympic event, no doubt. But the events are still split. Why? Because generally speaking, generally speaking, there's a physical difference in the development of men and women. I hope you guys know and can just take that the way that I believe Peter's intending that. But think also in this term, Peter's not just talking to us. He's, he's not talking to us in 21st century America. He's, he is, but he's talking primarily to a first century audience. And these people are hearing that truth, that reality that still exists. But this is an audience where men and women don't have equal rights. Where in many cases, men can treat their wives as property. In some cases, women are vulnerable in that society to abuse in a powerful way. And they live without any recourse to stop it. And Peter is saying, men, don't dominate your wife. Just because you are probably physically stronger than she is, don't dominate her, don't intimidate her, don't bully her, don't be harsh, don't be demeaning to her just because it's the first century and she can't do anything to stop you. And he goes even further than to say, don't do that. He says, show her honor, value, show her worth that she is an honorable creation of almighty God. Here's how I was thinking about that. My hammer is stronger than my laptop computer, but my laptop is worth way more than my hammer. It is a precision instrument and I care for it. I'll throw that hammer all around. I'll lay it out in the yard and keep it there at times, but I don't do that with my laptop computer. And in a similar way, he says, these, these creatures that you're living with, they are worthy. They are 
honorable. They are deeply valuable. And the way you treat her should express the value God has placed in her. And notice the grounds of the value and worth of our wives. He says this, since, in verse 7, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That's gospel truth. This isn't just know your wife. This is know the gospel. When we trust in Jesus, you know what the Bible says? It says we're forgiven of all our sin, that we're cleansed from all of our trespasses, that we are restored and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes us, that makes us to be adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of the most high God. We are allowed to live in relationship with God, not just as God, as God, but as father. We are sons and daughters of the most high king of all of the universe. And we have an inheritance as his children. And what is it that we're going to inherit as the children of God. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 3.21. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says this, let no one boast in men for all things. What things? How many things? All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, listen to this, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Listen to me. Through Jesus Christ, we will inherit everything. Everything that belongs to Jesus will be a part of our inheritance. That's what Romans 8, 17 means when it says that we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with him. Heaven will be ours. Earth and the new creation and the new universe, it will be ours. And if you are married, man, to a believing wife, a follower of Jesus, she is every bit your equal in her standing before almighty God. She is an heir of the grace of God and the life of Jesus Christ. I heard one preacher say every morning a Christ follower should wake up, see his believing wife, and he should say, now that's a woman who will be queen of heaven and earth. Even with that breath. No, sorry. Man, I'm just, sorry. Your wife, listen to me. Man, your wife is a royal daughter of the most high God and your words and your tone and your actions and your provision and your protection should reflect that. I remember the first time I met Emily's dad and I've got to tell you, uh, he was a rather intimidating guy. He still is in, in many ways. When he and I met, um, uh, we were both a little younger back then. Um, he played linebacker at Army. Um, uh, he could bench press my car. I think he could. I think he could actually run faster than that. And he's a really, really smart guy as well. So I knew I can't fool him. I can't outrun him. If he catches me, I'm gone. I am dust. And I've got to tell you, after all of these years of knowing that man, of loving that man, respecting him, he is like a second dad. To me, I am still a little scared that if I mess something up, he will twist me up like a pretzel and enjoy doing it. All right? So, what would it be like, or what should it be like, for us to be entrusted to care for the daughter of Almighty God? Her inheritance is heaven and earth because her father owns it all. 
Do you talk to your wife like she's a daughter of the Most High God? Like you're going to be taking her home to her heavenly dad each night and he'll know everything you thought and did and said for her? Do you care for her like she's a precious treasure, priceless and rare, and her worth is far above rubies? Do you do so in a way that she feels like you believe that about her? Do you tell her who she is in Jesus? Uh, I can't spend any more time on this. I just want to encourage you. What would it look like? Let me just recommend this to you. What would it look like if you sat down with your wife and said, I don't know if it's every night this week or if it's most nights this week, but you said, we're going to carve out 10 minutes We're going to carve out 10 minutes and let's go through Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 is all about who we are and what we have because of Jesus Christ. It's packed with gospel truth. What difference would that make in your marriage if you sat down and said, honey, you need to know that you have been adopted. You need to know that you have the forgiveness of all your sins. You you need to know that you have an inheritance. You need to know that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You need to know that God says, praiseworthy things. That's what blessed means. Praiseworthy things about you, and I do too. What would that make a difference in your marriage? Uh, Listen, that's a lead into this last thing. Not only do God-honoring husbands know the truth, show honor, God-honoring husbands lead their wives into unhindered prayer. Let's close with this. Look at verse seven again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And look at this, look at this. We talked last week about roles and goals. Here's, we've talked about these roles. Here's the goal. Look at this goal. It's a really amazing thing. So that your prayers, listen to this, your prayers may not be hindered. Why do we live like this? We live this way in part because we don't want our prayers to be hindered. What's that mean? I've got to be honest. I don't fully know. What's what's he totally mean by that? He could be talking about the fact that God is not inclined to answer the prayers of people who disregard what he says. He's inclined to hear and answer the prayers in the way that we think of that, to hear and answer the prayers of people who honor him as God. Look down at verse 12. Look at verse 12 in chapter three, 1 Peter three twelve. He says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is not inclined to answer the prayers of people who disregard what he says. And Peter might be referring to that. If you don't live the way God has called you to live toward your wives, the way God has called you to live toward them, he's not inclined to answer your prayers the way you ask him. So that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That your prayers are hindered. He may also be talking about the fact that it's really hard to pray with your wife. Your prayers together may be hindered. It's hard to pray with your wife when there's friction in your marriage. It's hard to come before God with the woman who knows who you really are and act like everything is okay. It's hard to have this, well now Lord, let's just, let's just pray like, like you believe he's really Lord, you believe he's really God and you treat her like dirt. It's hard to pray. Like he may be saying, listen, your prayers are hindered when you don't treat her the way God's called you to treat her. You can't pray with each other the way you're called to pray with each other. Whatever, whatever he means, either one of those things or maybe another thing. Either way, it's plain. There's a couple of things I think he wants us to get out of this. First of all, there's a correlation between your relationship with God and your relationship with your wife. And, and if, if your relationship with Jesus isn't informing and empowering your relationship with your wife, something's wrong. 
There's a correlation here. And there's also, a, there's an importance of prayer. He says this is the, in a sense, this is the carrot at the end of the stick that when you live in a God-honoring way in your marriage, God Almighty hears you pray. So husbands, pray with your wives. Live with them in this way and lead them into unhindered prayer. And I told you, I got a really cool story for you. Here it is. I got this email this week from my good friend, Bob Willicky. And Bob's dad, Bob Sr., is, is in the hospital. I got this email. He said, Titus, dad's in the hospital at Vieira. He's doing okay. He may be discharged tomorrow. And here's the most interesting story. You want to know how this correlates with this text? How, how these things become an example of a demonstration of the difference Jesus is able to make. Listen to this. He was put into the hospital Friday night in room 429. It's the very room my mother was in when she went to the hospital last year and died on May 19th. What's so coincidental is this. Dad and her would spend a lot of time in prayer together in the room and their love for each other became the talk among the hospital personnel. Saturday night, a young nurse came into dad's room and she said, I remember you and your wife. You always prayed together. And then she asked dad if he would teach her to pray. And of course he said yes, but she was busy and told him she would come back. She came back, not that night, but the following, which was Sunday. She sat down, said, I have more time tonight. Dad started by saying, praying's not hard. It's just like talking. However, you first need to trust in Jesus. Have you ever done that? She said, no. Dad said, well, that's where real prayer begins. And dad led that young mother and nurse to the Lord last night. And it was all a result of he and mom's love for each other and God. That shows through even in her death. It's so cool that their relationship with each other is what drew this young lady to the Lord. And it's interesting you're preaching on that right now. It's a cool story, right? It's a cool story. Would you like that to be yours? That the people in your life would know you and your marriage as a testimony to the difference that Jesus is able to make in the lives of those who trust him. Here's the last thing for us. I know many of us hear a, a message like this. And, and men, we may be in this place where we would say, that's not me. That's <laughs> not been me. That's not me. And I don't know where to go from here. Here's how I want, I just want to end with this. Um, God is a God of grace and that's why he sent us Jesus He sent us Jesus so that he could forgive the sins of husbands who haven't lived this out. And I want to encourage you men, if you hear this and you'd say, that that sounds really great, that has not been me. I want to encourage you, bring that to Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. I don't want you to leave, I don't believe God wants you to leave this place riddled with guilt. This is a reminder of why you need Jesus. So Jesus is God's provision for the forgiveness of our failures. But go to chapter, to 2 Peter chapter one. I'm just gonna read one verse to you really quickly. I want you to hear this. Not only is Jesus God's provision to forgive us our failures, but look at this. Jesus is God's provision to empower our successes. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power, 
has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. It's through Jesus that God has provided everything you need for life and godliness in your home, in your community, at your job. So don't leave here rolling up your sleeves saying, I've got a lot of work to do. Leave here calling on Jesus to give you everything you need to live this out in your home. Would you join me in a word of prayer? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and just enter into a time of reflection. Whatever you may be experiencing even right now, some of you men, um, you, you know you have not had a life well lived in your marriage and, and you feel that heavily. You, feel, you, you may even feel paralyzed by that. Like, I don't know how to go from here because I've, I've started over a lot before and I've never made it stick. I want to encourage you to call on Christ. Jesus would be your hope of giving you the strength to live this out. And you might make a plan, but your plan is based on faith. Your plan to know your wife, to talk to her, to ask her questions, spend time with her, think about who she is to honor her as precious, hold her up as valuable, tell her who she is in Jesus, to pray with her even tonight, that that plan would be empowered. You'd be resting on the power of Jesus. Just pray right now, even call Jesus, give me power. I can't do this, I can't be this. Jesus, give me power. Some of you need me, just call on his grace. Jesus, forgive me. I trust that you died for the sin and my failures in my own marriage. I trust you died for this. Some of you wives need to be calling on Christ's power to live in relationship to your husband in a way that encourages him in this, prays for him in this, that stops hiding from him. Some of you single ladies need to be calling on Christ to provide the kind of God-honoring character in a man that you would value and that would inform the choice of who you may marry. Certainly single men need to be doing the same, calling on Christ to give you that. Father, I want to ask you to do a work in our marriages. Lord, is it possible that one of the reasons why a gospel declaration in our culture has felt somewhat ineffective is that people have seen all of our lives and, and we, they haven't seen the difference that Jesus can make? So Lord, would you please work in us? Would you cause us to desire what we should desire and to live with dependence on Jesus to empower that kind of life? God, would you wash over us a wave of grace that we'd be able to let go of failures and and sin knowing that Christ died to forgive, to release and redeem us. I pray that we would move forward depending on Christ. I pray for the men and women and children in this room that we would be filled with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus and become confident in his power to live out every form of life and righteousness that you've called us to. Lord, I pray for restoration and redemption and glorious new life in Jesus beginning in the marriages and homes 
represented in this room. Lord, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. And it's our joy to respond with faith and praise to the glory of your name. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.